Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Good evening. Welcome to episode 000017 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James. I'd like to start off by acknowledging the traditional owners from where I am broadcasting this evening, the Wurundjeri of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Um, we've got a, another special episode for you this evening. Um, our first guest is Stan Grant, the uh, Walkley Award-winning journalist um, and writer of the new film, uh, the Australian Dream. I spoke to him earlier about the film that's uh, got tongues wagging. Uh, the film takes a look at Adam Good's career and so much more. Ultimately, it delves into the Australian psyche, and that's what Stan and I end up doing during our conversation. Um, in the second half of the hour, I'll be joined live in studio by fierce Gunai Gundijamara woman and former state MP Lydia Thorpe. We have enough time, we'll talk treaty, Uluru's statement, and most pressingly, the standoff on uh, Jabwarung country over the plans by the state government to expand the Western Highway, which will in turn destroy a significant slab of the sacred lands and trees of the Jabwarung people. And uh, I've got to point out, this isn't a protest for protest's sake. The traditional owners and their allies have been on site for well over a year now, and they have been joined by more and more people as time has gone on and on. Makes you reflect. We hear a lot from senior bureaucrats and elected officials. We hear their acknowledgements of country, you know, like the one I just did at the start of this program, and I do every week, and I mean it. But of course, some, and in particular our political masters, it seems clear that those acknowledgements are a little more than just platitudes, or my my I dare say, even just a cliche. It certainly holds no water if, you, if they ever acknowledge the traditional owners of the Japwarung people. So we're entering a treaty process here in Victoria, a process where the traditional owner groups supposedly enter negotiations with governments at state and local levels to right historical wrongs and come to an agreement and understanding on the way we should engage with each other as we move forward into the future. However, with all this taking place, if we just step back and take a look at what's happening on Jabarung land right now, we see traditional owners take a strong stance to protect their sacred lands, and has the government entered into any meaningful dialogue with the elders and traditional owners of Jabarung country? No. Do they show any indication of doing so? No. And when I say dialogue, I don't mean the gammon tick-the-box consultation undertaken by consultants that are paid squillions to prepare planning reports so the governments can hide behind them, as this government is doing now. So further reflection, when we stand back and we're all just about to enter into a treaty negotiation process in good faith, we begin to wonder, would you trust this mob to act in good faith? this mob being the government. We see what's happening on Jabberung country. We see the way that they are being ignored. We see the government machine begin to kick in and try to distort the issue. This is something that um, you would expect in Queensland or, or Western Australia, not from the so-called most progressive state in the country. So we will continue to stand back and watch, not just Aboriginal people, but Victorians more broadly. 
We'll watch to see what happens on Jeburung land in the coming days, weeks, and we'll understand that it has ramifications well beyond Jeburung land itself. All Andrew Andrews needs to do as Premier is to talk to these people. No hard hat, no high vis required. Anyway, this is The Mission on Triple R 102.7 FM. Up next, Stan Grant. Melbourne's own 3 Triple R. Uh, Stan Grant is a Wiradjuri man. He's also an Australian television news and political journalist and television presenter for the ABC. He's currently ABC's Indigenous and International Affairs Analyst and Professor of Global Affairs at Griffith University in Queensland, Australia. <laughs> He's also the writer of the Australian Dream, a probing documentary that looks at the life and times of Adam Goods, from gifted junior footballer to becoming the lightning rod for race relations between black and white Australia. Stan, please welcome to um, Triple R. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Um, Your career is um, a long and distinguished one. It took you overseas for um, a number of years. Yeah, a long time. What did you see when... um, you came back in terms of relationship between Australia and the first Australians? Uh, it reminded me that, you know, as much as we'd have we'd made improvements, um, there were fundamental issues that we hadn't dealt with. Uh, and, you know, these are the issues that are the legacy of our history. They are the issues that still underpin the ongoing suffering and disadvantage that Indigenous people continue to, to endure today in Australia. And I think, you know, for someone who had reported the world's conflicts, who had spent time in Afghanistan and Pakistan and Iraq, who had covered the Arab Spring, who had covered the rise of China and into North Korea, the one thing I took away from my reporting for all those years was the, the way that history shapes our lives and the power of the legacy of that history. Um, and to come back to Australia reminded me that history hangs heavily here too, particularly for the first people of this country whose lives are shaped by a legacy of history that we have not dealt with. You've written a lot on the subject, and um, I, I, you know, I recently read your book, um, Australia Day, mm. which is available in all good bookshops. Um, how difficult is it for the broader the community to understand the impact of intergenerational trauma? We still continue, um, you know, in conversations, you know, I have with, with people, you know, everyday Australians, there's always that line that quite often pop, pops up, well, why don't you just get over it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, how far off do you think we are from having a, a common acceptance of intergenerational trauma in the broader Australian community? I don't think it's something we can put a timeline on. I think it's something that's deeply embedded into our society and the way the way we see our society. You know, um, you mentioned the Australian Dream, the book that I wrote. The Australian Dream was my attempt, I suppose, to, the, the, the Australia Day, rather. Yeah. The book that I wrote was, was my attempt to try to get inside the idea of liberal democracy and how that shaped Australia and the principles of liberalism and how, as Indigenous people, we've been excluded, locked out of that, that 
to truly uh, find a place in Australia, we have to be able to locate ourselves within that liberal political tradition. And here's the fundamental issue when it comes to liberalism. It's a progressive idea. It sees society as being constantly a movement forward. It's the idea of the triumph of science over nature. It's that you are not you are not defined by your race, your ethnicity, or your history, that you can leave these things in the past. And for most people in Australia, that probably works. You know, Australia is a place, I think, where people come to escape history. You know, people have fled wars and, and revolution and political upheaval. They come to this country because it is a place to leave those things in the past. But for Indigenous people, we carry that with us because everything that's been that's been developed here, everything that has been built here, has come from the original sin of the invasion and theft of Aboriginal land. And when you've been excluded and segregated and oppressed continuously for your 200 years plus of history, when Indigenous people are those people who still died the youngest, who were imprisoned at the highest rate, um, that history is real. So there's a there's a dissonance, if you like. There's a, there's a clash between the progressive liberal idea of Australia, a place constantly moving forward where you leave the past behind you, and the reality of first peoples of Australia who live with the legacy of that history every single day, and leaving it behind is not an option. I, I really... I'll just touch on the book a bit more before we get to the documentary. One, one of the chapters I really found fascinating was um, the one where you talk about um, nostalgia for injustice. Yes. Um, um, you want to just explain that concept a little bit? Oh, look, it's, it's, it's actually a Nietzschean idea. Um, Friedrich Nietzsche, the philosopher, the German philosopher, who talked about this um, man of resentment, as he once said, know, the person mm. who is consumed by the idea of resentment. And he chose the French word ressentiment rather than resentment because it isn't just merely uh, a grudge or an anger at the past, but it's an open wound, a festering wound that is continually returned to as a source of power and identity. Um, there's a difference between dealing with the past, the legacy of the past, and justice, and there is uh, resentment and ongoing grievance and an identity of grievance. And, you know, that was my way of exploring those ideas. Mm. Um, When I look around the world, the conflicts that I've reported on, the conflicts of Europe, the conflicts of the Middle East, um, China and China's rise, it's all born in this idea of an historical resentment, something that went wrong, something that needs to be atoned for, but but we don't actually seek a reconciliation. We just continue to perpetuate an endless grievance. Donald Trump plays that card in the United States now. Mm, absolutely. Making America great again. Yeah. You know, Richard Kai Erdogan in Turkey talks about that with his lament for the fall of the Ottoman Empire. Viktor Orban in Hungary, the right, the political right have seized on this. And and so on the political right and the political left, there is this tendency for the politics 
of resentment and grievance. And I don't see that as a liberating idea. But I don't see forgetting about your history and whitewashing your history as, as, as a liberating idea either. We need to find a, a, a productive way to live with that and deal with the realities of that history. And these, these are really interesting things for me to try to explore. Yeah, I mean, you, you do it very well in, in, in that book. Do you think there's a risk of Aboriginal people ourselves actually falling into that? I think, like any people, uh, I think the source of grievance can become a defining identity. I think populism, uh, which is is one of the is a, is a cancer on the world right now. Mm. Um, populism uh, it preys on vulnerability and it preys on grievance and resentment, and we need to be alert to that and aware of that as well. Um, as Aboriginal people, I'm certainly aware of it myself, but I also know that I carry within me um, a sense of outrage and grievance. You know, yeah. when this happened to your family, um, we have a right to be angry and outraged about these things. I'm just mindful of it and aware of it to try to check myself against the, what I see as the damaging politics of populism and how that can be exploited by demagogues who are not interested in liberating people but interested in binding them to an unending sense of grievance about the past which ultimately becomes debilitating uh, and kills people, frankly. We know that, that living with that trauma um, leads to suicide, it leads to illness. Um, it's 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 a struggle to deal with the legacy of your history, uh, and and you know it's an ongoing struggle for all of us. We need to be aware of the pitfalls of that and how easy that can be hijacked and weaponised by um, you know by nefarious political actors. Oh, well, you've you mentioned outrage and you mentioned demagoguery. Um, I think that's a nice segue into the Australian dream. How did a young man, a gun footballer, um, universally respected um, within his team and across the AFL community, come to be a lightning rod for race relations in Australia? Because I think he stood up. A little bit too uppity. I, I think in Australia, the reality is that if you're an Aboriginal person and you're seen as being successful, that somehow you have to soften the blow. Um, you have to keep hold your tongue. You have to be grateful for your success. Uh, and I think Adam, well, I know, Adam stood up and said, I'm going to speak about these things. I'm going to use the platform that I have and the position that I have to bring my voice to questions of justice and questions of reconciliation. Of course, Adam only ever did that in a positive and constructive way, Mm. but he touched that sore point in Australia. Our history is our sore point. There are those who, as you say, who would much rather leave it in the past. These things are not so easily left in the past, but to be the black man who stands up to be the, the so-called angry Aborigine, um, it touches something deep within Australia, and that's when we saw people turn on Adam Goods. It is undeniable that that happened. Yeah, the thing I really liked about the film it does take a it takes a very um, nuanced approach, and, and, a, and a, um, it really does demonstrate the, the gradual build-up 
of that tension and, and, and Adam being the centre of that outrage and um, that r- racism over time. The other thing I liked about the film too is that you did have um, Eddie Maguire, you know, speak for himself. You, you did have Andrew Bolt um, uh, speak for himself about these matters. Um, and so it was nice to have a film that stepped outside the, um, the echo chamber, no matter how infuriating that might be, um, and I've, I've had some people actually ask me about that and say, "Why did we include them?" Yeah, well, to, to not to, to not include them would have been disingenuous. It wouldn't have reflected the times. They were voices, significant voices at the time, and we needed to hear from them. But at the same time, I think the weight of voices in this is the and you know, the power of voices in this comes from from the power of the black voice. It's Aboriginal people speaking their truth, and I think the, 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 the you know the counterweight to Eddie and to um, Andrew Bolt is Gilbert McAdam and Nikki Winmar and Michael O'Loughlin and Nova Perris, people speaking proudly from Black Australia, uh, and and I think you know it's that contrast of those two voices that I hope give a, a strength to the film. I um I absolutely loved um Gilbert McAdam in the um uh, just just the that simple black fella just stating obvious simple but profound truths throughout 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 the whole film. Oh yeah, look, and, and you know Gilbert, I, I wrote a piece on the the weekend in the Saturday paper, and I said Gilbert McAdam is one of those people who can say things that others would not dare to say and get away with it. Exactly. He, he's got, a cheeky glint in his eye, um, his disarming sort of presence, and then he hits you with these fundamental, uh, unquestionable truths. Well, when he says, um, what would they know? What would they bloody know about being a black fella in Australia? And then he says a bit later, they'll never, never know because they'll never, never go because <laughs> they're not black. Exactly. He knows that there is a different Australia here and that Aboriginal people, Torres Strait Islander people, look upon Australia through very different eyes. And, he, and he's unyielding, unapologetic and unrelenting in the way that he delivers that. And it's just a powerful truth. I think a lot of people forget that he was there at Victoria Park that day that um, Nicky Winmar made one of those, that, that brilliant jester, just lifting up his jumper and pointing at his skin. Um, I think people forget that Gilbert McCadden was there that day and he was copying the same amount of abuse. And he's actually, in so many ways, been witness to history himself. And it was vile abuse. Yeah. It was foul abuse. And it shook Nicky uh, to his core. This wasn't just, you know, booing. This wasn't just someone yelling out a racial uh, slur. This was making physical violent threats against them and against their families. Uh, and and you're right, Gilbert was there. He was there that day. He endured it that day. And I think that's one of the most powerful moments in the film, to hear Gilbert talk about that and to see Nicky relay that in that moment when Nicky stood there and pointed to the colour of his skin, which is one of the most powerful images ever in Australian sport. I actually, I actually welled up um, during that segment of the um, of the film. It was I found it profoundly moving. Um, you know, I was I was. A... I, I, had, I had the same the same actually, um, and I, I know Nicky really well. Um, known him for a very long time, and to see someone who is a gentleman in many respects, um, yep. to be to have to endure that, um, yeah, it was tough. Uh, you're listening to Triple R. This is Daniel James. I'm speaking with Stan Grant about. 
the documentary that is screening everywhere, um, The Australian Dream. Um, I think the other thing I like about the film too, it, 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 it goes from that moment and then it goes into the, the, in many ways, far more complex issues surrounding, um, surrounding Adam Goods and, um, uh, you know, the outrage and the racism that um, he endured. Um, we see in the film he actually comes very close to, to, to breaking and yeah. a number of his um, friends and loved ones were very concerned about him. Yeah. Yeah, no, they, they were. And, you know, Adam is very brave um, and very honest in revealing the toll that this took on him. It did, it did push him to the, to the brink. He was broken. He walked away from the game. He couldn't stay here any longer. He had to get away. He had to find himself. But this is what Indigenous people do. And, you know, and I've done this my own life. When you go back home, when you go back to your country, you realise what's real. Yeah. It isn't the boom. It isn't those people. They don't define you. It's your place and your country that defines you. And that strength and solace that we get from being back on our land, our ancestors' land, to being with our people, it, it gave him the strength that he needed to come back to finish his career and then to move on with the next phase of his life. But it took a, a huge toll, and I think, to be fair, it's a trauma that he continues to carry today. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, in, in that way, the, the film's actually quite tragic. Um, yeah, and you're absolutely right about getting on country, and, if you, and especially if you can go on country and find an elder to speak to. Um, it's, that, it's that Gilbert McAdam type, you know, just straight truths that you'll hear time and time um, again. Um, at the end of it all, I think you're right, Adam does come through as um, someone who's still dealing with the trauma of what he went through, but at the same time, he seems to be um, uh, very centred at the moment. Like he's very comfortable yeah. with his own culture, yeah. and very and, yeah. and going back to country. He knows who he is, but he's just waiting for Australia to change. There's a beautiful moment in the film where one of the old blokes back on um, his country, about the country, um, says to him, "You know, you got to wait for people to be ready to listen." And, yeah, that's uh, brilliant. Yeah. We're still waiting for people to be ready to listen in Australia. And we've been here, we've been here for tens of thousands of years. We'll wait, and we're waiting for people to listen. But we have to get back to who we are. And, you know, I think going back to his country, reconnecting, coming back, uh, gave him the strength to be able to go on. And he's doing great things in his life. He doesn't need football in his life. He's got a young family. He's got, um, you know, really fantastic work that he's doing in Aboriginal communities and his foundation and helping Aboriginal kids with education. He's, he's making a real contribution. He's about positive change in his life. And um, that, that's the best we can all do, I think, you know, is to, to know who we are, where we belong, and to hold tight to that. Uh, because that's what, that's what gets us through. Yep, and you certainly do that, Stan Grant. Thank you um, for your work. Thank you for your, your books, um, Australia Day. Just one reflection I had, one last reflection before I let you go, yeah. is, you know, I was sitting in um, Cinema Nova here in um, uh, uh, Melbourne and Carlton, and one of the most powerful things I actually took away from the night, I walked out of the cinema and then there's a readings bookshop across the road. And as you walk into um, that bookstore... You see um, your book, Front and Centre. You see Bruce Pascoe's Dark Emu. Yeah. Um, you see Melissa Lukashenko's um, yep. <laughs> award-winning work as well. Um, I think despite all the despair, I, I, I fundamentally believe that Australia and Australians are now more open than ever 
um, to, to, to hearing our stories and learning true history. I hope so. And even if they're not, we still have to keep telling our story. Um, you know, I think we waste too much time, and I've probably wasted a lot of time in the past trying to do this, in answering back and defending ourselves and explaining ourselves and doing a lot of emotional heavy lifting for, you know, um, white Australia, if you like, to mm. open them up to being ready to listen uh, to our stories. I think... I think we need to focus on doing what we need to do. We need to tell our stories, our way, our truth, um, unapologetically and defiantly and with courage and strength, and we're doing that. And all of those people you mentioned and many, many others mm. are bringing their voices to this. And, and if Australia's not ready, then we have to continue to tell that truth until they are ready. And, uh, you know, I think we've created the space for people to listen. We just have to keep doing it. Yep, I think it's just a matter of just continuing to lay down the truth and if others want to pick it up, um, it's there for them to pick up. Um, and don't, and don't spend your life answering back and explaining yourself and defending yourself against people who don't want to listen or who want to constantly attack you. Let them go. Let them have that. Um, I'm just not interested in doing that anymore. You and me both. I gave that up a long time ago myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for your time, Stan. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Thanks. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. You're listening to The Mission. If you were um, around earlier, I hope you enjoyed my uh, conversation with Stan Grant. I should mention that that conversation was actually brought about through a crikey article um, I wrote uh, that was uh, released well, a couple of days back. So if you want to check out the the piece I wrote for Crikey, you can go and uh, check that out as well. There's cross-promotion galore happening here this evening. Also, I want to thank um, all the people that subscribed to Triple R last week, but in particular to The Mission. It gave me a very warm and fuzzy feeling indeed. It's the first thing that I've ever... Um, First Radiothon I've ever been with, and again, I'd like to thank Rachel Hocking for being a part of it. Certainly couldn't have done it without her, and uh, you can hear her regularly on Still Here, 1 o'clock on Sundays, usually hosted by Neil Morris, but Neil's such a busy guy. Just thankfully, we've got a, such a, a deep pull of talent in this station, First Nations people that can fill in and, and cover for each other when need be. You're listening to Triple are, and this is the mission. Um, I love Uncommon Sense, by the way, so um, by all means, listen to that. Tuesday mornings, yeah? So um, absolutely fantastic. I love those long-form, deep-dive interviews, if you, um, as you may have noticed yourself. Speaking of which, uh, on the line now is our second guest this evening. She's a Gunai Gundijamara woman and former member for Northcote in the Victorian State Parliament. She was the first Aboriginal woman to be elected to said parliament. But that's only part of her journey. She's been a strong advocate her whole life, and in some ways she marched even before she could walk. Growing up in Collingwood, she has been a tireless advocate for her people in a range of roles. And Lydia Thorpe has very generously come online with us this evening to speak about a range of issues. Lydia, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure, Daniel. Good to be here. Um, as we speak, people are camped out about two and a bit hours west of Melbourne on what has come to be known as the Jabwarung Embassy. 
Why are they there and what do they want? Uh, well, we're there to protect our our cultural heritage. We're there to protect some something that's significant to us as as significant as you know the, the church is for Christians or Catholics. It's it's something that we feel um, spiritually and culturally connected to and have had this connection for thousands of generations. I mean, 800-year-old trees, birthing trees, culturally modified trees that have been culturally modified over hundreds of years uh, where there's evidence of cooking utensils in the in the um, bottom of these trees. Um, so you only need to visit there to understand and feel why this this landscape is so significant to not just the Japarung people but the local community and of you know of this nation i mean it's it's something that we can all connect with and and celebrate um that ongoing um continued culture the only you know the oldest living culture on earth it's it's there at that spot and um it's real and it's uniting people it's you know bringing so many different people from different walks of life from all over the world to come and connect with japarung people and japarung japarung story um and it's under threat it's under threat from um major roads and and the victorian government uh because they feel that the road needs widening in that particular part of the country. Um, they say that it's for uh, safety of road users um, and they say that it's also to, you know, save um, time from, you know, for people travelling from Melbourne to, say, Adelaide. Um, you know, when you look at the the evidence around the fatalities along that road, it's not in that stretch where the, the particular area that we're trying to protect is. It's, it's, in fact, in other areas along that road. And if people just slowed down, um, they would be a lot safer and they could actually drive past and appreciate these beautiful uh, ancestor trees that still exist today. Yeah, I think we need to get to a point in, in, in this country to recognise that, you know, Aboriginal history, Aboriginal culture belongs to all of us and it's something that we should all be celebrating. It's not an us and them thing, you know. If you want to find out about our culture, we'll, happy, we'll happily show you. We'll talk to you about it. We'll sit down and discuss these matters with you. At the moment, it appears, at abs- at the moment, it appears that the Victorian government isn't listening to the traditional owners or the protesters. What what has been the government's response? Uh, well, they're saying that they have spoken to the corporations who purport to represent the traditional owners, um, but they made that first mistake um, with the first corporation that they were dealing with, who've now since been deregistered as the body uh, who said represented Japarung people uh, and now they're deciding who has the authority over that particular area 
in terms of um, a piece of legislation called the um, Cultural Heritage Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Legislation, uh, which ultimately gives registered Aboriginal party status to Aboriginal corporations to then um, negotiate on roads and deals uh, that the the government have interest in. So they've made a, a number of errors uh, since this time. Um, and no, they haven't met with Japarung people in in this in this time. Um, and they continue to deny that even the Japarung people exist because they um, uh, you know, they continue to want to deal with the corporations. Uh, we are working with Eastern Ma Aboriginal Corporation at yep. the moment to, to come to some kind of um, way forward, and we're still in, in discussions with that. Um, but, yeah, the, the government have continued to deny the Japarung people's rights uh, in terms of free informed prior consent, and they've refused to meet with us on a number of occasions, even though they want to do a treaty with our people, they won't meet with us about saving something that is very, very um, you know important in terms of our survival and our connection as a people. My name is Daniel. This is the mission on Triple R. I'm speaking with Lydia Thorpe about uh, the protests happening up at Jabarung Country. Uh, you mentioned the the treaty process, and I did a bit of a spiel at the start of the program talking about how if we can't resolve issues like this in good faith with traditional owner groups, then what chance does does treaty have as we as we move into that sort of negotiation phase. What, what do you think this means for the treaty process in Victoria? Oh, look, I, I'm really struggling with it. I'm conflicted as a sovereign woman who's, you know, who's a Japarung woman um, and at the forefront of this fight to save our, our beautiful landscape on Japarung country. But also I'm a Gunai woman and, you know, if you look at the Central Highlands right now, um, that part of the country is being logged at the rate of five MCGs per day. So it's really hard to have any faith in what the state government want to enter into when it comes to a treaty. I don't, I don't see that there's been any um, move towards um, doing the right thing by our country or our people when they continue to log and destroy you know, our, our sacred land, our, our mother, which is what how we refer to our country. So I am sceptical. I'm, I'm also running as a candidate in um, the, the Aboriginal election for the Treaty Assembly. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, um, I've been quite open in saying if my trees, if my landscape is destroyed then I will have to step off the treaty, uh, you know, step step out of my um, candidacy for the treaty assembly because it. What, what is the point? What what can we really negotiate if we can't negotiate the basic protection of our country, which is 
um, a part of us. You know, you, do, you destroy that part of the country, you destroy a part of us. And I'm, yeah, I'm not feeling really good at, about the treaty process right now, to be honest. How far off are we from having those elections for the, the First Nations People Assembly? So the the candidacy has closed. The opportunity to become a candidate for the Assembly has closed. It closed on the 16th of August. And the so the, the role, the Aboriginal role, is open until uh, voting begins on the 14th of September. I think so, people can still enrol right up till October. Yep. But the actual elections, um, being able to vote, starts on the 14th of September. And I understand they've got around 1,500 people enrolled um, out of 35,000. Okay, so we, need to, voters. so we need to ramp that up significantly. Um, yeah, we do. We do. Well, we, we need to ramp it up, but at the same time, we, the government needs to show some good faith in what they want to, you know, negotiate with us because a lot of our people are sceptical about what's happening at, happening at Japarang and what's happening uh, in the Central Highlands and other places uh, where people aren't feeling um, like they want to be involved in the whole process at all. Not to mention the amount of nations that have been excluded from this process. So 11 registered Aboriginal parties, which are um, uh, recognised entities by the government, have been given reserved seating onto the Assembly, so they're already there. And that's they're, they're recognised under those heritage laws that you, that you mentioned earlier? That's right. Yep. That's right. Yep. So if, you're, if your nation hasn't been through a government process and haven't been stamped by the government, then you don't get a reserve seat on the Treaty Assembly. And so if you look at approximately 38 nations across Victoria and only 11 have reserve seating, then you can imagine the kind of conflict that that's created amongst our people already. Yeah, one one thing, and I'm running a piece on it at the moment, but just one thing that, you know, as First Nations people here in Victoria, is we've, we've got to make sure that this process brings us together as much as possible and got to ensure that, you know, even if we are going through, you know, hoops that are, that are set by, by government and set through legislation, that, you know, the thing, and you know this better than most people, Lydia, the thing that actually makes us stronger is, is our unity. And it's got to be careful that processes like this don't, don't disrupt that. That's right. That's right. And, and you know, I, I'm voluntary working with the Victorian Traditional Owner Land Justice Group um, in trying to bring people together and organise a way where all of our nations can be heard and have a seat at the table. And if we can try and infiltrate that through this current arrangement, then we will. Yeah. And if we get good people on board that ensure that no one gets left behind, then we can look forward to, you know, some good outcomes. But, um, yeah, that's that remains to be seen. I guess the, 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 the positive thing um, out of this whole, you know, uh, Japwarang issue and, and the threaten, or threatening of, you know, sacred lands by road expansion has been the solidarity shown by a, a lot of people in the broader community, 
by you know actually getting up there and and, and helping uh, the traditional owners at the embassy. Has that has that been inspirational for you? Oh, it's been incredible to sit to sit there. I was there um, last Wednesday, Thursday night, and I didn't want to leave. Um, just the, the amount of support and solidarity is incredible and the stories being told around the fire amongst Japarung people and our allies is something that, you know, people will never forget. And one particular story that I've heard along the way was from a non-Aboriginal woman uh, who was pregnant and she was having trouble with her pregnancy because the baby wouldn't turn and she was she was due to have her baby and she went to the birthing tree and sat inside the tree for a while and the baby turned. Wow. And that was a non-Aboriginal woman and I was, you know, she came to me and told me that story and and I've since met that baby because <laughs> um, this has been a, you know, eight-month kind of yeah, journey yeah. this woman's been on. And it was just amazing. I cuddled that baby and, you know, we... This, this baby, this person is going to have this connection forever uh, and this story to tell forever. And, you know, it's just, it's just been incredible. Well, inspiration happens in um, so many different ways. And, you know, I think, I think the process is we just stick together and, um, you know, show solidarity. We'll get through this. It's important to notice, to note like, on a day where the uh, state government has applied for a heritage listing of Federation Square, mm. um, we've got land out there that means something to the First Nations people of this country and has for generations upon generations upon generations we are not going to be diminished by taking care of those sacred lands and looking after the First Nations people that have looked after that land for so long. Lydia, I'll let you go. Um, thanks so much for being on the line, and I appreciate your time again, and I hope to have you back. We'll talk, we'll talk of the restatement and a few other things, but um, always great to talk to you. Can I just say to the listeners, please get out there. If you haven't been out to the tree, everyone's more than welcome. Um, you know, feel it see it, experience it, because it's what unites us as a people. And if you want to find out more information, you can go to dwembassy.com and that gives you directions as to how to get there and how you can support the traditional owners and all the allies out there that are, that are flocking there to protect our sacred lands. Lydia Thorpe, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Good night. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs>